Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today we have Michael West on the show and we're on the hunt for the abuse of power. There's a good argument that in Australia over the past 20 years, some of the best investments you could have made are in regulated companies and vested interests. Socially and ethically, we're supporters of Michael's work via his company, Michael West Media, which holds companies to account for unpaid tax, poor corporate practices, and also government and regulatory concerns. One of Nucleus Wealth's core values is transparency, and we're supportive of his calls for change. However, on some level, as an investor, you need to invest in what the world is, not what it should be. You need to be aware that much of the value, in particular Australian stocks, is tied to their closeness with regulators and political parties. If this changes, then the winners and losers in the stock market could be dramatically different. Today, we're going to dig into where companies might be vulnerable on this front with Michael. As always, we have Damien Klassen, Nucleus Wells co-founder and chief investment officer. Damo, welcome. I'd also like to extend a very warm welcome to our special guest, Michael West. Michael, welcome. Thank you for joining us. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. Great to be on the show, fellas. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, my name's Sam Kerr. I'm a senior financial advisor at Nucleus Wealth. Just a reminder, the information in this podcast is general in nature. If you do want to have a more specific uh, conversation about your personal financial situation, please go to our website at nucleuswealth.com forward slash contact, and you can book a call with me to have a no obligation chat. We are live every Thursday at 12.30 Australian Eastern Time, so jump onto the Nucleus Wealth YouTube channel and you can ask any questions that come to mind and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. You can also follow us on your preferred podcast platform as our show is available on all the majors. So those are all the formalities out of the way. Uh, so Damo, I'll hand over to you to get the ball rolling. Yeah, thanks, Sam. So, um, so Michael's an independent journalist running a website sort of very focused on um, a lot of stuff uh, about sort of holding companies and, and governments to account. And so, um, you know, we wanted to get Michael on partly uh, to, to help support, I guess, and get get the word out and, and more people listening to and more people sort of focused on independent journalism because of all the benefits of it. But um, from an investment perspective, uh, it's actually something I'm very interested as well in. And, and I guess the reason why... Um, I think this way, certainly about Australia, is that Australia's dominated by by oligopolies and um, some quite regulated businesses. Uh, we saw the mining profits tax um, sort of get got got to the kibosh and, and a, and a, and a um, prime minister kicked out because of it, and and a, and a real easy run going through to to a lot of mining companies, in particular oil and gas companies, on a regulation and and, and tax front since then. And so, from an investment perspective. Um, yeah, it, it is for me very important to try and work out when are the winds starting to change. Now, I, I would love them to from, a, from a, a, an ethical and a, and a social perspective, um, but within a lot of these sectors, um, they aren't. And, and, and I guess I'd argue that, that um, potentially things are, 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 um, are, are getting a little bit worse in some of them, but um, that's what we wanted to get Michael on to discuss some of the individual ones and really look for these changes because um, 
to use an example, uh, you know, the Australian banking sector gets some of the highest returns on equity in the world. Now, um, we've just been through a period where banks were effectively um, government funded in terms, or at least um, reserve central bank funded. And, and the argument is that, well, Australian banks are earning a higher return because they're actually closer to the regulators or closer to the central banks. And so um, they've been offered better deals than what, say, the European banks are doing, and, and that allows them to earn a better return. So if any of that's changing, you know, we want to know and we want to know early on these. So I guess um, I've got a whole bunch of things I want to run through and and um, and, and, and and go, but maybe we can start, um, Michael, with um, with the banking sector. And I guess, um, you know, there's there's obviously been a, uh, we, we went through this um, uh, Royal Commission. There's a whole bunch of things that um, they said we should be doing. Uh, we had the, the Liberal Party say that they were going to do most of them. Uh, the Labor Party sort of said they were going to do most of them. I guess, uh, from your perspective as, as an independent journalist, you know, where how are we going through the, the list of um, recommendations from the Royal Commission? So, in the meantime, why don't I? Why don't I? will while we've got Michael coming back on, um, so so Michael's so so one of the, some of the things we do want to talk about uh, as we're going through this. Uh, oligopolies, so um, issues with with that. Uh, we'll start with the banks. Uh, I do want to run through as well um, uh, some other sectors. The the oil and gas sector is is one that, uh, which I know Michael's sort of been focused on. And uh, one of the things we have been doing as well within the the background, and Michael's been running this for a while now, is um, this idea of the the, the companies that are. Uh, the companies that are not paying tax within Australia. So he has sort of his list of, of tax dodgers um, and, and companies that are basically uh, transferring profits out of Australia and into other countries and sort of paying tax within other countries. And so what we've done on um, as part of the investment portfolios, um, you know, we run a number of different investment portfolios and on, on those investment portfolios, we allow people to um, to, to screen out companies that they don't want to invest in. So, for example, you, you might choose to screen out uh, tobacco companies or you might choose to screen out nuclear power or, or, or whatever it is that, you know, we've got about 40 or 50 different um, different options to, to, to screen out and also stuff to screen in. We've, what, one of the things we have added recently is, is an option to screen out the tax dodgers, and we use Michael's work uh, quite heavily in terms of um, uh, coming up with that list. And that's the idea that, you know, we give companies a social license in order to um, uh, in order to invest in Australia and, and run their uh, run their business in Australia. And if they choose not to pay taxes in Australia, then that's a you know obviously a social issue that that, that we're sort of facing. So um, yeah, so we've added that in. Um, but maybe I might jump back to the banks. Maybe Michael, if we looks like we've got you got you back in terms of the the list of things the Royal Commission um, wanted us to do. How are we uh, how are we going through that list? They're not um, selling um, um, fee for no service and selling products to dead people anymore and things like that. Hopefully, they've cleaned up their act a bit. I mean, they're not perfect royal commissions, but I think that this very business of the judicial powers uh, to subpoena people and to to force people um, publicly to disclose things uh, and be interrogated about them. The RoboDebt Royal Commission, for instance, was very good in shining the light on a co-opted, corrupted bureaucracy, uh, which is a huge issue for Australia because it's increasingly been outsourced over the past um, Yes, I want to years. hit on that one as well, yes. <laughs> yeah. But but I guess I guess so the answer for the Royal Commission, though, does seem to be that, um, for me anyway, is that, yeah, we've had all these things. Both parties said, yes, we're going to implement all, everything, but but the 
result is they've been they've implemented a few of them and they're they're just slow slow playing it um, for the most part. Is that what you're seeing as well? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, oh, they get, well, they're they're a very powerful oligopoly, aren't they? I mean, I think there was a, a significant point in regulation in the global financial crisis when, you know, I'd said I'd long said uh, when I was a columnist at, at Fairfax at that time that. Um, the banks were guaranteed effectively by us. It was an implicit guarantee. But of course, during the GFC, when they gave them the sovereign it debt, became explicit. The, the deposit guarantee, and of course, the you know, mm. the um, the ability to raise money on the on the Commonwealth at the Commonwealth bond rate or the backing of the Commonwealth. I mean, these are huge leg ups which no other business had. And then they introduced that um, committed liquidity facility, which is. You know, I called it a bailout fund, and we got a rude note from the RBA saying, "Oh, it's not a bailout fund; it's an <laughs> assisted liquidity facility." You know, this kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. That's right. But the fact is, there are no other businesses. Um, the banks, at that point, it became explicit that they're underpinned by taxpayers, and that, in a sense, um, is a moral hazard issue, isn't it? Because it allows them to take risks, which you know, and and it's been my view that if the housing market does completely crater. That the next thing the Australian taxpayer will be on the hook for is um, people's mortgages and and the banks. Mm. Uh, if there was a mass um, default situation, so COVID then took it to the next level because when they had job um, keeper, it then became evident that it wasn't just the banks, but every large corporation that put their hand up got job keeper. Many of which didn't uh, deserve it. <laughs> many of which were still recording record profits, rising revenues during COVID. Uh, but yes. nonetheless, only a few of them have paid it back. So government now well, is that, very much fused with the large, with large corporations. Yeah, I mean, that was the uh, that was the issue, wasn't it? It's, that, um, you know, I think my, my accountant in particular, uh, you know, a blame for failing to tell me properly is that you didn't need to be, um, you didn't need to actually be, be looking at a downturn. You just need to be forecasting it. So as long as you're a bad forecaster, here's some money. <laughs> is, um <Very> <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, uh, yeah, and the fact, yes, as you said, a, a stark contrast of, of the robo-debt at the same time is that, you know, you may have given us extra money, we're not quite sure, but we're going to chase you to the ends of the earth to, well, you def we, we definitely gave you money you shouldn't have had for the, for the corporates and mm. you can keep it. Yeah. Uh, the double standard is glaring. I think that's where there is a general falling of confidence and trust by the public in large institutions not just government. I think we saw during Scott Morrison's reign that uh, that there was in incredible disaffection in the public with government believing that it's corrupt. Yeah. Um, uh, it was incompetent as well as corrupt. Uh, I think the Labor has proved themselves to be at, well, to the, this point, they're still on a bit of a honeymoon and Albo seems to be running quite a tight ship. But the the essential problems of latter stage neoliberal democracy remain there you know mm -hmm. captured regulators uh, we've, we've talked about regulation before um, you know markets that are very dominated by large powerful players mm. um, well, let's inertia. yeah let's let's use that to the jumping off point to the oil and gas sector because that's obviously another another favorite um you know i look upon this and I, we and we've run a few podcasts on on this um, on this same topic about saying well you know, we, we actually have a very alive example within our own borders of, of a market that is regulated and has gas reservation and and, do, and didn't have this massive blowout in costs in, in Western Australia. 
yeah. uh, and the Northern Territory as well. <laughs> um, two separate, because we've got three different markets in, in Australia, and we have this East Coast gas one that where prices have gone ballistic and and um, effectively, you know, what was meant to be a price cap, well, what sounded like it was going to be a price cap was actually only a price cap for, for people that uh, are on contracts. It's not on the spot market. So anyone relying on the spot market has had to cop it. Um, and so it, it seems as if, uh, and we know you've, you've spoken as well about the, the, the amount of tax that these guys pay. It seems as if um, the oil and gas sector really has captured um, both sides of, of, of the government. And um, it doesn't seem to be there's any any sign of, of regulation coming at any time at any time soon, or any meaningful regulation anytime soon. Well, they're screaming about what tiny regulation that's been imposed on them. You know, the gas caps thing, which still leaves them with a more than hundred percent margin. There, you know, I'm, it, it is incredible to think that it's espoused as being leave the markets alone, free markets by our by our supposed free markets finance press. But it's not free market. They act like a cartel. And to think that we're in a bizarre situation where we're the biggest exporter of LNG in the world and we're importing our own gas back into Australia at, you know, export price parity, you know, I mean, it's bizarre. Why would the biggest exporter of gas in the world be importing gas? It is so bizarre. And to think that it doesn't even trig doesn't even fall to the finance press for the, the lights to come on and say, this is just too bizarre. Look at WA, look at Northern Territory, as you say, Damien. And here they've got a domestic reservation policy. They earmark gas for their domestic markets. And, um, I mean, the problem is gas determines the price of electricity. So it, it hits everybody from people, households to manufacturers. It is a absolute debacle of... Uh, mm. Of, of policy, gas, and of course they don't pay any tax either. Well, very little. I mean, if you look at, you know, Energy Australia and AGL pays a bit, but you know, um, Brookfield's is about to take Origin. Brookfield is some of the biz biggest tax tax dodgers around. That's expected to get the go ahead despite the vertical integration, which is a huge. I would have thought a huge worry mm. uh, for the ACCC. You got Macquarie Bank sniffing around Energy Australia, fifty percent stake now. Those boys aren't there, um, you know, for the, um, you know, the Good Samaritan uh, journey. Um, you know, there's huge profits being made at the expense of consumers. It's quite simple. Prices are going up 50% right now on people's electricity bills. And these guys, the large corporations, which are mostly foreign controlled uh, in electricity, um, uh, they're the ones to benefit. And they don't pay a lot of taxes, I've highlighted many, many times. The big gas companies, of course, Shell and ExxonMobil, huge tax dodgers. Exxon, something like $80 billion over eight years in total income, uh, no taxable income and no tax payable. Yeah, I know. It's incredible, isn't it? And and, and I guess the thing is, like, I, I feel like the, the donations that are made to both sides of politics are not that big. Like, it's, we're talking about a few million dollars a year, I think, on, on to... to um... It's cheap. Yeah, that's what, that's one of my complaints. You know, if, if we're going to have a corrupt government, at least they could get fair value for you know, as I said, well, giving away billions of dollars in, in tax, but but in yeah. Um, yeah, for a few few million dollars. Well, it's interesting this morning that PwC has tried to seize the moral high ground and uh, said so we're not going to make political donations anymore. The numbers uh, from the big four um, consulting and audit firms is 
I think 4.3 billion over uh, the decade in political donations, and for that they're getting more than a billion dollars a year now in federal government revenue. That's just gone through the roof. Uh, their government contracts with the outsourcing of bureaucracy and, and government departments. Hmm. Well, actually, before we get to that one, because before we get off the, the oil and gas part, um, it seems as if independent sort of um, thinkers, let's say, seem to seem to treat this as saying, okay, we, we've decided to create this this artificial market in, in energy because we know it's, it's a natural monopoly and so we've decided to create this artificial market and we've, we've got all these rules and regulations and then um, we keep getting fooled by the companies who, you know, back in the... In the Gillard days, it was gold plating all the assets. Now it's uh, gas prices, you know, at, at different, uh, buying back into at international prices for, for Australians. And, and we've always got this part where we're like, we, we have to try and set up all these, um, these fake markets and then we've got to set up regulators to try and monitor the fake markets. And the reason why we've set them up is because markets are so much more efficient that, um, you know, we're going to get a better better result. Now... It would seem to me that at some point you might say, um, "Okay, we've we've had it, we've had a go at this for twenty years, and and all that happens is, yeah, they're efficient, but they're efficient at policing the taxpayer, and then we have to create up with new rules and regulations." Um, is there any sign? Do you think that that's that the, the thought process is changing, or or does it seem to be that you know the media is captured as well as the as well as our politicians? Well, I'm very on the record, and I'm probably a little bit biased in saying the media is completely captured. We've got a duopoly, and the the PMO, the Prime Minister's Office, funnels news through to a bunch of Canberra correspondents um, every night, and that's what leads the news agenda. And then the ABC and morning TV, commercial radio, pick it up and run with whatever the, uh, if it's, you know, an outbreak of school kids stealing each other's lunch boxes, as was uh, without any sourcing uh, or any evidence, was the thing a few days ago, then... Um, you know they run with this, and they then and now they're into this business of reporting what each other are saying about the latest scandal. So it's a real navel gazing, navel gazing exercise. And of course, you know, these are government subsidised. Most of these big media companies via the Google News Showcase. Well, that, yeah. So let's, I don't know how much they're getting, but it's hundreds of millions of dollars. You know. Yeah. So let's talk about. Let's jump onto that one uh, because that was. I mean. So for anyone who's not paying attention, let me summarise. I guess the way I, I look at it, and I guess. Um, so what, whether you agree is that to me this was a little bit of a standover tactic where basically the government said um, uh, to Google and, and Facebook and, and the big um, international media companies, you, you have to pay these local media companies for their content. Um, but uh, if, so, so basically yeah, if you want to show, somebody types in um, whatever, Royal Commission, and, and it shows up the news.com website or it shows up the Fairfax site, then you have to pay these guys. But if it shows up the Michael West site or the nucleus or, or something else, then you don't have to pay them. Um, and effectively, was the government, you know, forcing forcing these big companies to, to pay, and the big comp and the, and they sort of pushed back for a little bit, and then went, oh well, look, it, we're just paying, we're effectively paying a bribe to, in order to to do that. And then I guess the government got the goodwill in from the media companies, and then tried to use that to is that is that you think a fair assessment it or was that? I... And as a result, for instance, Google um, having paid off um, in this protection racket. The government's media partners um, under Josh and Scott Scomo, um, they've gone back to paying no tax again. Like this is a company which has billions of dollars in revenue, a complete 100% monopoly. I mean, who uses Bing? Mm. And um, 
you know, uh, it's just insanely poor policy because, as we all know, we click on Royal Commission, we get a bunch of, when we go to Google, we get a bunch of um, links that come up and a little uh, two lines of text. Mm. You click on that link and it takes you to the News Corp or the Nine Entertainment um, website. So it's yep. free advertising. Google is providing these media companies, but they have claimed Got somehow to, to the politicians, oh, mm. Google's stealing our content, Facebook's stealing our content. No, they're not. They're providing you with free advertising. But it was on that basis that they claimed that they needed this supposed world-first media reform, and there's no visibility as to how much money Google and Facebook have had to, you know, pay Rupert Murdoch and... Um, right. right. Payment uh, etc. Have you got a guess? Have you, what's your? Well, it's hundreds of millions, I think. But there's no, literally no. They had a one of those mm. government, you know, inquiries where they do a, they monitor it. How's it all going? And there was this mm. flimsy document came out a few months ago, basically saying, well, there is a bit of a visibility issue here. Of course, there is. There's no arbitration arbitration mechanism either. And this is mm. the way the search engines and the pl big platforms want it. They what they fear. They don't mind paying a bit of protection money, like they paid in the in the Jordan Shanks Barilaro issue. They just were happy just to. I mean, they'll pay people to go away if you if 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 they're being sued, just mm. to you know get this out of the way. We don't we don't need this kind of bad publicity because otherwise, you know, they, they just got so much money. Those guys, but mm. in this case, the law. It isn't even a proper law because there is no arbitration mechanism. Because Google and Facebook have said to the government, if you impose on us an arbitration mechanism, so there's a tribunal you can go to to say, hey, Google, it's Michael West Media here. I'm suing you or I'm complaining because you haven't paid me enough money under this brilliant media reform thing. Mm. So there is nothing. So there's no way of gov there's no way of checking if this works at all. It's purely a protection racket. And my sources of Google have on background, of course, have said, yep, protection racket, not for you, mate. This is for Rupert. This is for Nine Entertainment. This is for Kerry Stokes. This is yep. for The Guardian. It's for all the big players. Mm. Yes. Yes. So, so yes, yeah, so we've got our, our, uh, our banking sectors. Um, no real change there. So it's a bit depressing here, but, but you know, from an investment perspective, I guess it's for, for you know, no major changes. With banking sector, no changes. Oil and gas, no changes. Media sector, as you said, you know that's effectively a a, a, a quasi-regulated industry, at least for the big guys. Um, uh, Liz, I guess we should move into um, uh, the tax dodgers. So, given we're uh, given we've set up a, a screen now, so that people can screen these guys out. So, do you want to sort of give us a bit of history as to to, to why you came up with this list and, and and how you do it? Yeah. So we a few years ago we decided um, well was interesting because tax, as a finance journalist, the, and it's like analysts too. You guys go to an analyst presentation. Um, uh, sorry, a, yeah, a company presentation to analysts, whether they're buy side or sell side, they all sit there and they ask their questions, but they never ask about tax. And tax is a third of every dollar, or should be. So <laughs> every dollar of profit, of course. So it's a massive issue and it's the biggest um way to save money and it's mostly the foreign multinationals that do it because they have the capacity to do it by lending themselves money from overseas associates it i realized pretty early in the day that it was about 2013 that this was this business of tax fairness i 
was huge in the public psyche and I didn't realise until we I ran a piece. I was at Fairfax at that time um, as a columnist there and uh, Google moved into our building, physically moved into our building. Mm. And, you know, we're all slaving our guts out. The Fin Review got merged with the Herald on the same floor and then the advertising department completely went because Google took all the ads for content providers and Fairfax was physically shrinking, the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age and the Fin Review. At the same time, Google was going through the roof. So they were over the other side of a sort of a, a, a cricket pitch um, at the Googleplex at Piermont. And they ran out of space there. They, they built the building themselves. So they came into our building, uh, one Darling Harbour uh, over the other side of the cricket pitch and started taking out floors there. Increasingly, they kept on getting bigger and we'd be all working our guts out as journalists. And when in a certain lift well, when you went up at some stages, you could see these kids from Google with their sort of baseball caps on backwards on with their skaties and their and so on coming in, all those little scooter things that they bring to work and and they've got cafes and great restaurants in there. You know, we we've got this hopeless cafeteria and everything like that on the ground floor. And we could see them playing pool on a yellow felt pool table. <laughs> like when we go up in the lift and we're we're going up to sort of slave over a hot keyboard and and get hot told, you know, here's your here's your latest redundancy round and this sort of thing while Google. So I did a quick check of their accounts um, because, of course, they're not like ASX-listed companies. They file once a year to ASIC and, and uh, their accounts... Not for their Australian operation, obviously. Their Australian, the, Google, Australian, global, yeah, yeah. Google Australia yeah. proprietary limit. So, of course, here they are with this huge revenue growth in their Australian accounts paying no tax. And Fairfax, which was losing money, still paying $30, $40 million tax... Mm. And so I wrote this piece just comparing Google to um, to Fairfax. Uh, this is pre the Nine Entertainment takeover, and it went quite well. And then I did a couple more pieces and did a piece on Macquarie Bank because they used to be famous tax dodgers, the old Macquarie Bank. And um, I'm getting quite a bit of feedback. I'm thinking, well, finance journalists only usually write about profits and CEOs and dividend, how much dividends people are getting and corporate takeovers and things. But this tax thing is is big. Then I had a guy from the unions come to me, a guy from United Voice who represents the um, poorest people in Australia, the people at cleaners and, and this sort of thing. Mm. So we just did a survey about 23,000 members and we found that the number one issue for these people, we're talking about people most of them probably can't read English properly because a lot of them would be migrants, mm. um, saying um, tax fairness was their number yeah. one concern. So we started to do some more, and then and then by the time I left and set up on my own, we decided to start up this top forty tax dodgers thing. It was just a play on back in the day, you know, the uh, the top forty you know, song charts, you yeah. know, on the radio sort of thing. And uh, we worked out a metric to do it because um, I won't go right into it right now. But but what we you see, there's a lot of the multinationals. The point of their tax dodging is to not make a profit in Australia. And if you look at, say, an Exxon or a Shell, they will literally say, here's, here's our $10 billion of revenue and here's our taxable revenue or taxable income. Total income here, $10 billion. Taxable income, zero. In other words, sorry, we didn't make a profit. Therefore, we don't have to pay tax. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and just, just for... Uh... making a profit. And so all we did was did a couple of metrics around that, put it on a spreadsheet and started doing it year after year until a couple of the companies like Glencore worked out our metrics and they actually gamed them a bit so to, to take themselves off the top 40. Right. 
Yes, yeah, well, that's a, um, I mean, that's, as soon as you start measuring something, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's when it goes to pieces, isn't it? Because uh, all of a sudden people know what they need to get around. It is, and at um, the time, PwC finally put out a note to its clients around 2016 after the, well, at the time they were cheating uh, the entire Commonwealth by selling state secrets. Mm. Um, that was the 2015 media, uh, uh, corporate tax inquiry, which I got going with Christine Milne, mm. and um, it was very effective. They had all the cameras there, and suddenly tax became a, you know, tax fairness became a big thing, and PwC put out a note saying it's not, you know, back in the day, the double Dutch Irish sandwich was a glamorous thing. It was great to avoid tax. Now it's mm. frowned upon. Behaviours have changed. Public perceptions have changed. Tax dodging is not cool anymore. And this is coming. And sure enough, it did come. And um, now companies are literally, and if you talk to the tax commissioners, you know, uh, Jordan and Hershorn and these guys, they'll tell you that because of transparency, Tell me the point you were touching on before. The point of transparency is it's so important for regulation because tax avoidance thrives in the darkness of non-disclosure. Mm. Yeah, as you said, for, for Australian companies, it's it's um, obviously a bit harder to do because yeah, because they're they're within Australia, they don't have the chance to to move the profits into it. And, and for a lot of the time, as you said, that like the, the company's still made a profit. It's just they've gone, okay, well, I didn't make the profit. For example, Google goes, yeah, okay, I made billions of dollars in profit, but I just didn't make it in Australia. I made it in Ireland. And then I made it, and then I shifted it somewhere else, and then it came back with a lower tax rate. So, um, but it's, in, it's it's interesting to note, we do a lot of, um, sort of quantitative analysis over over company accounts and things like that as well. And, and you know, the, the initial thought, um, I use it as something to try and pull out um, companies that are a little bit, um, that, that have got un underlying problems insofar as you go, uh, effectively, companies effectively done two books. They've gone, they've prepared one book for their shareholders and said, hey, shareholders, um, look at all this money we made. And then they've prepared another set of books and given it to the tax office and said, sorry, guys, didn't make anything this year. And and so, um, you know, I guess the assumption is that uh, usually that they're, they're lying to the tax department and telling the truth to, um, to, to, to shareholders. Whereas um, for some companies, it's actually a little bit closer the other way. So it's a, it's a sort of an interesting one in that the multinationals, I have no doubt, you know, um, are quite profitable and, and are shifting it around. But um, the thing we <laughs> I quite often look at for, for domestic ones or companies that do this is actually, well, just a minute, maybe they're actually telling the tax department closer to the truth and 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 it's because you can get away with lying to the market. You don't have to go to jail if you lie to the market. But but sometimes the uh, you know the tax office is you know is obviously a different thing. Um, Oh, yeah, so does that, so that sort of opens up, you know. I guess your thoughts on um, uh, PwC. So, so I guess it's a little bit similar to that. Um, the idea behind the, the the government is behind the t the oil and gas is saying we set up this whole fake market structure, and then we have to build all these extra things just to regulate that market structure. You're saying, well, why don't we just go back to what WA is doing and others, and just just have a, a largely a government run one for for these. I guess that that, that sort of extends to the to our um, our our government system where, as you said, it's it's we've outsourced a lot of the bureaucracy of the government to um uh to the to the big uh accounting firms at, at massively marked up rates and often just hiring back the same people um who've then gone to work for it. Uh we've just had a a, a lot of focus on that with the whole PwC. Do you think that's reversing at all? Or is that um do you think that that trend is, you know, despite all the outrage, is 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 sort of just the other guys will pick up the extra market share and and um you know and, and we'll we'll be off again. 
Well, I think that's what's going to happen. I mean, there was an inquiry two or three years ago, which passed with very little fanfare, called the uh, Inquiry into Audit, I think it was. It was a Senate inquiry, like this one, which has been very popular, and they've done well, the uh, Pocock and, um, and Deb O'Neill, in asking the right questions there. And it's interesting to see the way... I mean, I've been batting on about the big four being a problem for years uh, because of the conflicts of interest. They've got the audit and they've got the tax guys do, telling people how to extract as much or contain as much leakage as possible in the tax thing. And the audit got partner across the other side of the rice paper Chinese wall at all of the yeah. big four ticking off on the accounts as true and fair. So that's a huge conflict. Yeah. Huge conflict. I mean, you know, Lendlease is getting audited right now. And what's KPMG? What's the penalty for KPMG? Well, nothing. You know, yeah. um, they've been they've been the auditor there since 1957. So we can do with a bit of audit rotation as well. But there's a problem with the Chinese walls there. And as we've seen, if they're consulting the government, telling, oh, these, these are the tax laws you should bring in so we can capture some more Commonwealth revenue. But at the same time, you're running around selling your tax partners are flogging it to foreign multinationals to um, avoid as much tax as possible. In fact, this morning I was just preparing a, a YouTube video and I thought I'd just give one example of one of these guys that PwC marketed to, which is Uber. And I looked at the Uber Australia accounts. Now, these guys made in 2022, they claim to have done $2 billion in revenue. Of course, Uber, you can imagine, just sailed through the, uh, the, the pandemic because of course, we were yeah. all ordering Uber Eats and getting Ubers around. The, so, well, the, the drive share didn't do as well, but the Uber Eats just went ballistic. Um, yeah. Restaurants shut down. So $2 billion is what they show when you open up their financial statements and look in their accounts. Oh, you know, we went up from, you know, $1.6 to $2 billion last year in revenue, and here we are, and we've got all these expenses, which always miraculously rise at the same rate as revenue or more, and there we go, no profit. Oh, here we go. We'll pay you know five or ten million in tax. If you go down to the back of their accounts, you see what's going on, like in the related party transaction note, and you will find the the money that they actually collected from Australia last year was nine billion, nine right. and that was up from eight or something. I mean, massive, massive. And this is basically what is it? It's a computer. You know, because everything is outsourced. They call their drivers, the poor little bastard on his moped driving over the Harbour Bridge in the rain. They call these guys their partners so they don't mm. have to employ anyone. They're partners, not staff uh, and um, and customers and so on. So they collected $9 billion, but they don't regard that as being revenue. They deem, as Google does now, and this is exactly the advice that PwC gave them when they were advising the government. They said, this is what you do. Just change your revenue figure because then you can, you know, change your profit figure as well and, and just do everything. Just say, no, we don't regard that as, but we don't record gross revenue. We record net revenue as our revenue figure. Now, yeah. if you're a bank, it's a bit different. If you're a betting company, like your total sports bet might have 100 billion, uh, you know, but 10 billion is the real actual revenue with poker machines. Um, you know, if you look at the accounts folk machine companies, that's the case there. But they've just come up with a fallacious revenue number. Now, imagine if you or I, our companies, were to say, oh, we don't like this, you know, having to recognise the money that we get in, uh, you know, to our fund management outfit or our media outfit. We, we don't recognise that as revenue. That's a gross figure. And what we report as our revenue is 
one third of that, you know. Yeah. So it is one of those plain forest for the trees, complete, huge, gigantic. Mm. Um, well, it's not a fraud because they're honest about the deception, but it's it's, it's just a complete. It's con. in the grey. It's a, yeah, that's right. It's in this grey area where you're saying you've been given a social license to operate in this country, and that part of that social license, you know, should be that you're paying t tax to. To, to help keep the whole thing going. And to, you know, if you're using our laws and, and systems and, and, you know, property rights, then you should be paying tax. And then so, yeah. Absolutely. But as you said, so, uh, I mean, the, the difference between the uh, Labor and Liberals on, on this, do you think? Is that, I mean, traditionally you'd, you'd say Liberals are sort of going to let companies get a bit away a bit more with the, the tax um, and uh, with... Yeah, uh, but but labor would crack down. Are you seeing any signs that that labor is being, uh, I guess, harsher on companies in terms of paying tax? Well, the reality is uh, that labor policy is better than coalition now. But the coalition it was Abbott and Hockey that brought in the twenty fifteen mail reforms and the and the mm -hmm. Google tax and um, and the transparency demands that all the big companies in Australia had to produce three numbers annually and that mm. to say how much tax they paid in this country. Um, so it was the Abbott and Hockey government. Uh, now, Andrew Lee's the guy behind the, um, the Labor um, System Finance guy who's behind the country-by-country country reporting. Mm. They've just walked away from that. That was an election platform, um, and they just went... Oh, sorry, do, do you explain again what the country-by-country country is? Well, it's just a transparency thing. It's saying we're going to show how much tax we pay in all these different countries, which right. means that there's not going to be as much scope um, to... Um, yeah, to be able to say, yeah, I've made, made all my profits in, in Ireland and nothing in Australia. Yeah, That's right. So um, just another transparency reform, which would have meant they would have had to pay more tax and they've just had it junked. Oh, mm -hmm. well, not totally junked, to be fair. Uh, delayed. You know when somebody comes out and delays something, it's like the money laundering reforms, which yes. don't apply to property developers, mm -hmm. uh, lawyers or accountants, because mm -hmm. stakeholders have been lobbying for 15 yeah. years and the tranche two of the laws, I mean, if you're a, bank or a bullion dealer or a casino, you've got a, anything more than 10,000 bucks, you've got to say where it's come from. But of course, property developers and the big four and the legal fraternity, you know, there are no rules. You can launder money. So that's why Australia's, you know, a white collar criminal's paradise. And that's why the property mar market is a terrific place to launder, um, for foreigners to launder money. And it doesn't yeah. help people yeah. younger get into the market. So we had we had Nathan Lynch on I don't know maybe six months ago a year right. ago yeah. to uh, talk about the lucky laundry. Yeah. Um, at the time he was uh, he was optimistic that um, that the government was going to do something about it. Uh, I guess I, my take at the time was they're going to put they're they're, they're going to tick the box of corruption by putting on the um, the, the the federal ICAC, and then they're going to uh, leave all the rest of it for for later. Uh, what can you see any movement in terms of? Uh, Actually, doing anything on the on the money laundering, or are we wa are we really fuss. waiting for international people to to, well, to? There's a big fuss over, of course, federal ICAC and you know the knack or the snack, as I call it, because it's the it's the uh, it's not transparent. This is the problem. We're not going to see it. We're not going to even see the findings unless they the commissioner deems that, and then it can be challenged on the high court. So I'm disappointed with the National Anti Corruption Commission on the AML stuff. Um, Nathan tells me, funnily enough, I just chatted to him on Sunday. He says they're beavering away assiduously behind the scenes 
um, in the Attorney General's Department um, getting this together because Dreyfus, being a lawyer, has more mm -hmm. clout with lawyers. He's saying, no, it's too late. It's Time's up. We've did it enough. Mm. Tranche, the first tranche of the laws was brought in in 2006 and the second tranche was meant to be brought in 2007, 2008. And here we are, 2023, and it's still not brought in. So it's a cracker of delay. Uh, it's like the grandfathering laws, which were brought in by Keating and only just been sold by this um, Labor government. But I, um, you know, it's like it, I wouldn't be counting my chickens before I hatch until you actually see it mm. and you see the detail. You know, they're, well, there's such a big schism between what people, the politicians announce and the actual detail of their policies when you have a look at it. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe it until I until I see it. But the fact is there is huge international pressure on Australia because FATF, the Financial Action Task Force, keeps on you know, poking fun at us in international cir circles like we are regarded as being worse than Pakistan mm. on anti-money laundering and counter-terror financing laws. Uh, we're dragging the chain internationally and it's only a moment, it's only a matter of some incredibly embarrassing thing coming from the OECD having a crack at Australia. And our reputation is, is on the line here. Yes, well, mor morally, <laughs> morally and ethically, I'm with you. I'm just I, I guess what I'm worried about, and, and I guess... What I'm worried about is that they'll do all this hard work and then they'll come out to, you know, the 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 the, the cabinet and they'll say, this is what we're going to do. And the cabinet will say, oh, that sounds like it might put house prices down. And they'll go, yeah, probably would. And then they'll say, well, why don't we leave that for, for the next government? Why don't we kick that, you know, let's let's put another review into this. Isn't, isn't that the, the I think standard? you're right about that. I mean, ultimately, it's this business of there's always, a, it's never a good time. To, no. put, to put risk into house prices because 65% of Australians own their own home. And a surprising number of those don't actually carry any mortgage on it. But so if you're following the if if you're following the 50.1 policy rule, you know, anything that benefits the majority of Australians, that's what we'll stick to. You're just going to be favoring those people with property, not those without. And unfortunately, like the rental crisis is and and home ownerships. It is really, really extraordinarily bad at this. You've just got to talk to anybody under the age of sort of 30 trying to get set in a metropolitan area and it's they turn up to a, an inspection and there's another 40 couples um, mm. got the, with their name on the list. I mean, there's a serious supply issue there as well as price. Yeah. And how much, I mean, um, how much do you, do you put down to the, um, uh, the amount of immigration we're running, I guess, versus... Uh... To, to that in terms of supply that's well that's a hot issue and i've been waiting for that to boil over a bit more because of course um the thing is the corporate media again who tend to control the narrative that's why mm. gas gets away with so much because they're completely in gas's pocket i think um because the business community you know, the bca etc they're all very pro um immigration high levels of immigration yep. because it creates more labor Therefore, mm. less tension in the in the price of and, labour and, and pushes yeah that's right pushes wages down yeah. and pushes wages down and creates economic growth because there's more people buying stuff. So I the problem is business is always pro, but there's you know the, the ability for you know for populist politicians to be demagogic about this and start 
you know, blaming migrants for things is there. I mean, it it, it could boil over any time because what are, what are we taking this year? 700,000? A lot of people. Mm. Um, and there is that latent sort of xenophobia going on anyway. I mean, politicians have been exploiting it for years. They're still exploiting it now. The asylum, poor old asylum seekers, we haven't heard much from them lately, but, you know, it's good politics to be wary of outsiders. We look at the guy in WA, you know, the most loved politician ever. Yeah, for locking, locking even other Australians out. Yeah. Locking Australians out. Um, and just, well, he was backed by Kerry Stokes. In fact, that's another, that's, they've actually, going back to the gas, beats petroleum has been very suspicious. This um, decision politically, Beach Petroleum was given a carve-out from the um, onshore gas exploration laws in WA, um, just Beach, just carved right. out for Beach. Of course, we know who's, who's in Beach. Kerry Stokes is in Beach, and Kerry Stokes runs the the, only, the dominant the place mm -hmm. there. So, you know, it's, it's a bit of a stinker. It'll come out at some point on the East Coast. Mm. Yes. Okay. Well, you're not, um, you know, from an investment perspective, you, you're. Um, it seems to be saying there's not a lot changing, but uh, from a from a social perspective, it's it's a little bit depressing. It's. Uh, you're yeah, right, uh, and you know what it's like. I used to be in the markets, um, mm. you know, trying to flog ideas to fund managers, and back in the day, very very badly, I might say, um, and. Um, I don't look at things as much through an investment, more through a social equity thing now than from an investment um, thesis. But, you know, there's a lot of money riding foreign investors on poor regulation in Australia and lack of competition. The ACCC has a huge job on its hands. You know, I personally think they should start, I mean, we'll look at Origin, for instance. We've got Angus Aitken running around, uh, perhaps correctly, saying that Origin's, you know, $8.90 is too cheap, should be double that. Mm -hmm. um, and here they're running around to, um, well, they're, they're saying we're to close Arara in the biggest coal fire power station. Uh, and here's the Fin Review writing every day, oh, no, we must keep Arara open. Well, who's going to pay to keep Arara open? Yeah. Oh, oh, are you suggesting, Mr Fin Review, that taxpayers of New South Wales pay to keep this old clunker open? Is that what you're suggesting? No, they're mm -hmm. just saying we need to keep it open. Origin wants it closed because it hasn't got its own coal and it's got to buy on the stock market at 145 US bucks a tonne. It's been up to 4,000, uh, what is it? 400 bucks a tonne but, or more. Yeah. Uh, but the fact is, you know, old clunkers are no longer, are not reliable despite the coal industry uh, protestations and the coal price is too high to make, the, make it efficient. So Origin itself, mm you know, wants to close this thing. And yet there's so many people in the lobby group saying, no, no, don't close it. We'd rather put taxpayers on the hook to keep this old coal clunker running. Yeah. Um, well, and there's this, anomalies out there. You know? Yeah. So this is my, this is my issue is that, um, you know, when I run the, I, I run, do all the levelized cost things, but the, the, I guess the, the big difference I do whenever I do levelized costs sort of analysis of electricity is I say, I want to know how much is the fuel costing me? And then how much is the underlying asset costing me? So I'm going, okay, well, if, if um, you know, coal is whatever, seven or eight cents per um, per kilowatt hour, is, is then you're saying, okay, well, actually four or five of that at, at $100, um, or sorry, maybe $70 uh, 
um, $70 coal, that's like four or five cents. So if we're talking about double that, you've actually got to double, you've got to double that fee. You can't look at the old figures and say, yeah, it's seven or eight cents per, per kilowatt. It's actually more like 12 or 13. So you now you're, you know, you're, you're much higher than, than solar power and, and even solar plus battery. If, if we're talking about running, you know, $200 coal prices through your models. And so, um, yeah, that's for me is a, is a big thing about, um, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of political support for these about saying, oh, and the costs are, the costs are similar. Uh, and, and you get baseload power and all that. And you're like, yeah, the, the costs are similar if you go back to prices from three or four years ago. If you go from the prices for the last year or two, they're nowhere near it. They've, you know, they've, they're four or five times higher for these, for these assets. Oh, massive. The coal prices through the roof is something like the gas price too. Like it's expensive. And so solar is, solar and wind are, are, are going to be cheaper. I mean, I, we, we noticed it about five years ago, didn't we, when suddenly, you know, the cost of new solar mm. fell below the cost of new coal yeah you know, um and now there's just no competition i mean it, it, renewable is so much cheaper renewable energy than than fossil fuel energy but we're in a real battle royale here i mean this is a massive battle because poor old tanya plibersek has been given the poison chalice of being labor's labor's pretty owned by gas and to go back to donations which you were saying donations i think the secondary to lobbying lobbying's the thing Lobbying is the big thing. It's who you talk to every day, who you sleep with at night in case of some of the Labor people. You know, government relations people for Santos and for Originals, very powerful. They've got Arpia, which is extremely powerful. There's there's large donations. They literally just plant people that just run around Canberra sucking up to politicians and bureaucrats every day. That's their job. Mm. policy. So this is far more potent than donations, the actual lobbying that goes on. Uh, I just think it's in a we're in a terrible situation, really, because the world's saying, "Look, we can't put any more fossil fuel projects." Our national wealth is so based on income from these things; it's a massive mm. switch mm. for us to well, not only building the transmission for renewable grid, but um, yeah. you know, the cost of, of or losing some of those exports while you've still got these markets here and not opening any new fossil fuel uh, projects and but here's tanya the environment minister you know ticking them off like there's no tomorrow is a new coal project ensworth and here's another one out here and new gas projects and and the yeah. greens are going crazy about it and some of the more um the left of labor they're absolutely crazy about it but labor's going well we need the money we need to get back into power we need to be fixed yeah well and and Operators, you know yeah, and and I, you know, I, I was I've sort of been fighting with people for for years on the whole idea that look, both the you run a uh, technology curve for these techno for these ones, your technology and it gets cost gets lower and lower every year, and then whereas you 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 coal mining and everything's on this uh, scarcity curve where every year it gets more and more expensive. Yeah, and um, and the, and the point that look now now we've actually crossed that point where solar plus battery actually is cheaper than. Than most of this coal, and and yeah, there, there is some 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 um, storage issues, and, and some certainly some of the longer term storage and working out. It's probably more about working out the um, uh, you know you go through a week without wind and 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 overcast days and all that type of stuff. You know what are we doing to to augment during during that time? But um, you know most of the arguments from a financial perspective have been well and truly solved. 
Um, you know, it's really a question from um, political side, though. We're still using all the prices from from five years ago to try and to try and argue the case. And, and actually, that leads on to um, the, the latest one, which is the whole uh, nuclear. I don't know what your thoughts are on the nuclear. I just know from my perspective, I, I've been a follower because I have so many people um, come back to me on, on my nuclear costs, um, which always tend to be right at the top and saying about the small modular reactors and how great they are. Um, they don't exist, though, do they? I mean, they don't exist. No, and, and the, the, the company that actually produces them, the, the big, the big company that's out there pitching it, um, they've doubled their costs over the last three or four years, and that's before you add in, and they've got an extra thirty dollar credit, thirty dollars or you know three cent per, per kilowatt hour credit that's going in there. So not only are they the most expensive out there, but um, their prices have doubled over the last few years, as they've been saying, because they, they came out, that was, a, I guess the pitch was, they came out and went, we can do this for five cents a kilowatt. And everyone was like, that, fantastic, let's go Let's go build the ball. And then as, they, as they've tried to do it, um, we've worked out the cost to double that at least. Yeah. Well, I've been uh, talking about SMRs for you know, a long time, haven't they? Uh, well, like, I, like carbon capture and storage. I mean, it's exactly, technically it is exactly scientifically feasible. Yes. Uh, but it's not commercially feasible because the costs are too high. Of course, you could build a small yeah. modular reactor, but you know that. Why isn't there any anywhere in the world when you know? I mean, yeah. France has been running seventy or eighty percent nuclear power for you know, generations. Yeah. It just it's yeah. not feasible, and but it's interesting to see why. I mean, Dutton's been rabbiting on about it lately. Mm. Well, of course, we know why because the. the Coalition haven't got any policies, so they just want to chuck up anything that opposes what the government's doing. But like yeah. what you do when you're in opposition. But the fact is, there's no case for it because there's not one of these things operating anywhere in the world. Then you've got the cost, you've got the risk of despite nuclear waste, you've got so many issues with it. The cost is immense. All the actual nuclear plants around the world are all way behind schedule, the ones that are being built at the moment, and way over cost. Yeah. Except, except, except in um, sort of developing markets, and then, and then this, is the, yeah, this is the argument as well. If China can build it and, and places like that, is like yes, but basically what you're saying is, if we just got rid of the regulation, then um, then these things would get built a lot cheaper. And you're like, absolutely. If you want to get rid of regulation around nuclear meltdowns, then absolutely you could produce them for cheaper. Is that well, what we China, want? China's <laughs> always the one, isn't it? Because they're so efficient, the Chinese, and in fact they are building them over there. But at the same time, let's not forget. They are making by far the biggest strides in renewable energy of any country in the world uh, yes. at the same time. So, yeah. you know, but, that's, but, that, that, that is to their conviction that this is the way to go. And you only have to go to China. I believe it's got a bit better, but, you know, you've only got to fly over the place or go or, or go to an airport there. And the, the smog is just horrendous in India or China. So they know they've got to make the transition. Yeah. But, but most of that costs, maybe. Yeah, now most of that cost is is um is is regulatory as well in terms of it being that if you're trying to do something in in France um, or England as we're seeing very much in the, in the English one yeah. is that the regulators are all over you to make sure this thing's safe whereas in in China they're just not and so because yeah, it's often the same party building it so yeah you can save costs if you don't have regulations I guess is the answer but um you, you know I don't know if nuclear power is is a place to test that you know what happens if we go without regulations. Um, but and, and the other thing on the, the, those, though, I mean, I guess I'd say it, it's to me it's a bait and switch, though, as well. Like this is, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the gas lobby driving this. Yeah. Because if, if I can make a solid argument to people that hey, just wait a few years, keep keep using my gas fired power plants and my coal plants for a few more years because small modular reactors are coming. 
yeah. Don't yeah. don't don't go build solar power that right now. You know, leave that. Let's go and and you know, if you got a few of those going, they would last. Oh, they'll be as you said, they'll be late. They're gonna they're gonna take five to seven years straight away. Plus, then they'll be late, so it'll be ten years. It's ten oh, the nuclear years. subs. They'll be arriving the same time the nuclear submarines do, which we, the latest exactly. is we don't know. In fact, if we're going to be getting any at all, yeah. <laughs> I said no. Okay. You you might not get any. Was a lot, was something I read yesterday, but like right. I, I, there's a huge time for it's purely a distraction play. It's not feasible financially and in, in politically. We haven't had the debate. Do we want nuclear power? Yeah. No. Um, well. And it's a much easier thing to uh, to say that we want this from opposition, isn't it? Than like if I think it's, if if you came out while you yeah you got ten years in power and and you never never mention it and then you know twenty minutes after you've been kicked out it's it, all of a sudden a, a huge priority. So yes, yes. Okay. Any any other major sectors that's uh, that you, that you think are particularly egregious or or, uh, or are there any actually going through a change? Are we are we looking at a change in any of them where we're we're, we're going to actually see some more competition and and uh, benefits for consumers. Well, it's interesting competition, isn't it? I mean, if you look at the airline market, you know, that's a massive duopoly. Well, Rex is having a bit of a crack, but it's Connors and Virgin, and there's always been good competition, well, domestic market competition between these two things. So you can have a situation where you've got a duopoly which is highly competitive. Uh, you've got other ones, say, well, until the, bo the boutique beers, but you had a brewing duopoly uh, which only competed uh, on advertising and never competed on price because you pay the same for there's never you never see a price war in schooners and middies um so some duopolies some competitive situations tend to work and others don't but i i just think personally i think the government's got a huge nightmare on their hands uh in terms of competition because really i mean look it brings capital to australia because it's easy for an analyst to say to the foreign clients, this is a stable, you know, got a Westminster legal system, stable democracy, uh, attractive place for capital because everything's a duopoly or an oligopoly or a monopoly. And the, the margins are fat. And they are. I mean, the cost of living in Australia is pretty high. And uh, I think that's also makes it an investment um, target, doesn't it, for foreign investors. So we got franking credits and various things. So I think overall, the and we've got superannuation mandated, you know. I mean, yep. money just flooding into superannuation every, uh, I don't know, how often you get it, guys? Is it every month or is it every year? Or <laughs> It comes in every month, yeah. So we're, it comes we're, in every month, just drops yeah. in there. I mean, I'll tell yeah. you one which is interesting, uh, um, I think. I haven't done enough work on it, but um, the super fund issue with the uh, private um, assets, the unlisted, sorry, assets. Yes. And I yes. think this is another one where there's going to be a transfer of wealth from younger Australians, like property, to older boomers who are retiring. They'll mm. all be looking after the boomers in their with their health and their and their age pensions. And already, yep. DIY super tax breaks are running at about thirty six. Thirty-eight billion dollars a year, and the age pensions only forty. So there are so many. Yeah. So let me let me explain that for listeners who who want to step behind on, on this. So so basically, the big super funds, um, uh, a lot of the big, especially the the industry funds, moved into a lot of unlisted assets um, year, years ago. They've been doing it for ages on this, and so and often they own them. Um, so like uh, an airport, for example, I think I'm pretty sure Sydney airports 
um, one of them, but there's a, there's a bunch of other ones where they might, a consortium of three or four will, will sort of own these assets and they'll put them on their books at whatever price they want to. So when you buy, when you put your money in, they'll say to you, okay, you've just bought part of Sydney Airport and we're going to sell that to you at, at whatever, a dollar a share. Um, there might be a listed version, which is sort of sitting opposite that, um, that you could see, um, but but the prices that they sell it to you in their unlisted, they can basically, I mean, they, there needs to be a basis behind it, but they don't need to, it doesn't need to be marked to market. So if, so if the, all the listed airports fall by 50%, they might say, oh, no, actually our airport's only fallen by 25% because we're, 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 we're way better. And so what that means is if you're putting money into the into this um, super fund, you have to buy that those airports at, at inflated prices. If you're in retirement mode and pulling money out, you get to sell to, to some new person coming in at, at inflated prices. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's this inherent unfairness behind it. And there's a lot of, there's some arguments out there, which I've seen in, in the past that basically, if you look at some of the outperformance of some of the better ones, some of the, the super funds that say they're doing really well, a lot of it's just that they've marked their, they've been very, very good about marking their own homework. For, um, you don't mean Host Plus or any of those guys, do you, mate? Oh, we, we do all our own super. So all our, all our super's listed. Nothing so wrong with bagging a competitor. No, that's no, right. No, you, 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 you're right. Um, yeah. Like, it is just unfair. Like, and they can do their own, it's like director's valuations, isn't it? You know, they can do their own valuation and um, it's not realistic. Um, and if I think in the case of that one, it was 20% of their assets are unlisted. So they're just sitting there just marking it up. And that was a, that was like a good deal of their superior return for last year when they topped the league table. So at some point, if they have to mark this stuff down, and at some mm. point there's always a crack with these things, isn't there? If there were well, independent valuations, the, the values would be much lower, I'd say. Yeah. But you want them in this space, mind you. I think it's good to have them in this um, yeah, selling some, stuff for people like Woodfield that aren't going to pay any tax and where, you well, know, the, the money goes off the Caymans. I mean, it's good to have our yeah. valuation in good, solid infrastructure. Well, I guess I guess yes. the question for me is saying, uh, and and because I, I look upon the listed asset market, obviously that's what we invest in and for ours. And so, I guess I guess in a way I look and say, well, what's the benefit of having these things that are being unlisted? Is what why don't we just have a listed market? And if you, they want if the companies if the super funds want to buy it, they can buy it. Well, like what what expertise do they have running companies that's going to add value to it? Why don't they just have it as part of a listed asset? And and the argument in the past used to be that. Um, oh, you get better returns in these unlisted assets because they're illiquid, and um, you get to buy because you, you buy them at a discount. Now that was true twenty years ago, but it hasn't been true for the last few years. A lot of these things have been selling at premiums, and so that's the other problem is that um, you know it's sort of you know I used to be able to buy these assets at a twenty percent discount, um, and so they got better returns as that discount went from twenty percent up to to zero percent, and and arguably for the last few years there's been so much money in private equity bouncing around and so much cheap debt that they've been buying these things at, at a 10% premium or a 20% premium to the listed market. And so then you, the returns you used to get are just no longer there because the prices you, you used to get are no longer there. So that, that was one on the super. There was something else on the super I was going to talk about was, um, uh, not lost it. It was just <laughs> Damo, what, what we might do, we might just go to a quick message and uh, give you a moment to think about that one. Yeah. We'll be back with the investment insights very shortly. Nucleus Wealth is an active and passive investment manager. If you like what you're hearing and want some help with the investing, we can do it for you via our active portfolios. 
Our technical and core portfolios use the insights shared in this podcast to construct and manage your investment. We blend technical portfolios to offer our combinations of international shares, Australian shares, government bonds, and cash. We vary the asset allocation with the goal of protecting your capital in times of market uncertainty. We also have active international and Australian share portfolios. These are chosen using our quality and value investment philosophy. You can find out more at nucleuswealth.com. Now back to the show. Okay, so, so the other one uh, uh, I remember this. So um, ASIC sort of came out a few years ago and basically said um, superannuation fees are too high. And I, and I do have some sympathy for this argument. You know, we're, we're, we benefit from this, but I do, I do agree that across the whole industry, um, you know, you could certainly make an argument that the fees are too high. And how we're going to fix the fees being too high is we're not going to let any more new super funds in and we're going to tell all the existing ones to merge. Now, um, <laughs> ordinarily, you know, I don't know, in, in a lot of other places you go, uh, fees are too high, I want more competition. Um, we've gone, gone down the opposite route, fees are too high, we need less competition. Um, I don't know. Let's, I'll, I'll flick across to you and see what your thoughts are. Well, I mean, you know, uh, there was... Chris Bricky did a good job in this, the Fat Cats report a few years ago, we started actually looking, doing proper uh, comparisons of how high the fees were and, and looking at ANZ, some ANZ funds, you know, particularly were highly inefficient and people were just losing it all in fees. Um, uh, and that resulted in fees coming down generally. And, but there's no, on your economy of scale thing, they've let, Australia, I haven't looked, looked for a couple of years at Australian Super, the biggest super fund mm. in Australia, uh, but if you do look at their reform, their, their um, their uh, what's the word? Economies of scale, they uh, haven't got any more efficient. And the reason for them saying, "Oh, look, we'll run around and buy all these other super funds," is um, that we're going to get efficiencies because it's under the same head office. So we it will take out all those duplicated costs and all this sort of stuff. Well, it never happened because yeah. you, their their costs never went down commensurate with the amount of. Um, uh, stuff yeah. that they bought and possibly it's empire building and this business of having boxes at the tennis and spending yeah. all this money it's just i think it's a it's it's a vanity a bit of a vanity thing yeah well that, that your point is saying exactly there whereas i say to you oh yeah i'm managing a a, a 30 billion dollar fund you need you need to pay me x now i'm managing a 60 billion dollar fund well you know what i want 2x because i'm just you know you've just doubled your thing i, I want more money and so you know I, I don't know i think there's a there's an there's exactly an element of vampire building in there, and then, um, but yes, it's it's interesting to see though that Vanguard, who um, you know are pretty good on the fees usually internationally, um, they've come in with fees that are pretty similar to to a lot of the industry funds. So, we'll oh, have they? Yeah, no, I hadn't I hadn't hadn't noticed that, but we'll well, they, um, if, if it's a big mar big margin market in Australia, you know why not? Yeah, that's right. Well, well yeah, a little bit below everybody else and have a crow about it. But yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. Anyway, watch this space because we, we've we've got um, we 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 have a our solution um, or our lowest cost solution on that. So we charge seventeen basis points, and we're on a number of different platforms, another number of the different big platforms. Um, but once you add in the little platform fees, um, they've got a lot of fixed costs, and so for for, for people with you know hundred thousand plus, it comes out to be all right, or, or two hundred thousand dollars. But you know, for, for some of the lower balances, um, you know, it ends up the platform takes seventy five percent of the money. Yeah. Um, you know, they whatever we add, they add a whole bunch more on top of it. Um, so we are looking. There are some uh, you know 
I think we're we're in the final throes of sort of a, a, a another solution, which will hopefully get that bring that down a bit more. But um, uh, yeah, as I said, I, I I feel very much in that case that there's a that I'd like to see more competition rather than less competition to bring down prices. But um, it's a especially as you, especially as you said when when it, they turn into vanity projects, um, we're basically saying we're going to build some oligopolies because that's what Australia does is we. Yeah, these things won't merge themselves. Let's let's create our own oligopolies. <laughs> well, it's a perfect business solution, isn't it? To, you know, yeah. that's what you want. If you're in business, you want a monopoly. Unfortunately, uh, if you're a regulator, you, you you don't want them. I think Australia's got a real problem. Well, yeah, and, and, I mean, the tax guy at least can look at this and go, look, the biggest, most profitable institutions in Australia aren't paying enough tax and not pulling their weight. If mm. they did a bit more on the transparency front and, and sort of shame people into into pulling their weight, paying their fair share. They, their job really is easier when you think about it than the ACCC that that will be, you know, condemned for stopping mergers and takeovers by everybody for being anti, you know, for being too strict with the rule book. But when you think about it, like why would you allow these assets to go offshore? And there was 150 billion worth of it under ScoMo and Josh uh, was a huge thing the back half of COVID, um, massive sale, you know, Ausgrid and just massive sale to, to, to foreign players. And um, I just think, I mean, surely, I don't even know because FERB's so secretive, but mm -hmm. does the tax office make a, a recommendation to the to FERB before FERB approves it? Because FERB's got to approve on national interest grounds. Is it in the national interest for Brookfield to come in, take over Origin, um, despite the vertical integration stuff, mm. uh, which is going to cost customers, um, even if they, well, you know, what, what, what they use the, uh, what, uh, what they siphon bits off and try to protect, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. But even if they do that, the tax man surely must be looking at this going, hang on, Origin paid 160 million in tax last year, Brookfield paid zero. They take this to the Caymans as they already said they're going to do in the, in the fireprint. We're yeah. just going to lose 160, another 160 million or whatever the figure is. Origin's been a tax dodger anyway, but they do pay a lot more tax than, than the foreign um, uh, energy players. Mm. Surely it's in the national interest to go, well, why would you be allowing you know, super funds or whatever? Fine. Even private equity guys are going to relist it, maybe. But, mm. you know, why would you be allowing foreign tax haven domicile people to control as they do with our hospitals, part of the a good deal of the electricity grid. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, maybe it's something I'm missing, but well, they're allowed to make higher profits, so they're allowed they're missing to make higher profits, and then they can put, they they can go back in donations to to political parties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the virtual right. circle. On, on that on that happy note. <laughs> yeah. Now now we're going to go to the question of the week. Um, so this is for viewers to so have some discussion in the comment section over the coming days. The question for this week is, are there signs that vested interests are losing control of the Australian political process? After after all the conversation, I think we probably know the answer to, the answer to that one. Uh, but feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days. And we're just going to go to a quick message again. We'll be back again shortly. If you like what you're hearing but want a low-cost passive option, Nucleus Wealth is the first to offer passive direct indexing in Australia. The first generation of passive investing was index funds. The next gen was ETFs. 
Now, direct indexing is here with significantly more customization and control. The benefit of direct indexing is you can add or subtract investment themes, and we have almost 100 different options to choose from. For example, you could buy an international share direct index portfolio that excludes fossil fuels and arms manufacturers and has a tilt towards cybersecurity and cloud computing. Alternatively, you could buy a portfolio with no screens and an extra exposure to nuclear power and defense contractors. You can find out more at NucleusWealth.com. Now back to the show. Excellent. So, uh, uh, Michael, just want to give you an opportunity just to let the viewers know how they can find you or uh, just yeah, let, let them uh, know a bit more about, uh, about what you do. And, and uh, yeah, so the uh, floor's yours. Well, as Adam Bant once famously said to the Fin Review journalist at the uh, National Press Club, Google it, mate. <laughs> so yeah, now you can find me on Google. We've got a website, YouTube channel. We're across Instagram and uh, uh, TikTok, even Twitter, mostly. Facebook's a big thing, and uh, LinkedIn a bit. So I mean, the media these days, of course, these are newspaper trucks. It's just. Are you on Threads yet? That's a good question. Yes, I just. Well, I didn't do it myself, but I got a guy that did it and uh, put it. Put. I had a look at Threads, but um, I haven't actively engaged but look i know are you guys there i mean you've got to be in all these places i mean exactly where you have where it's just popped up i don't know like i use twitter a bit myself but but i don't know about threads yet i still need to work out how much i'm gonna how much i'm gonna use that part so. well twitter has changed i was motoring towards a hundred thousand uh, followers on twitter and suddenly must takes over and bang Right. It might be it might be a conspiracy theory, but I've really ground to a halt in terms of growing on Twitter. I, it's good to have this competition. If I mean, it's another tech billionaire, sure, but but why not? Uh, if you know, I think it's good for free speech to have more platforms. I don't know how long Facebook will be lasting, but you know, um, you know, this is what we do as a media organisation. We just create the content and. Um, Hopefully, well, we don't have any corporate um, agendas, really, or any, uh, it's all just public interest journalism. We're not backed by any or paid for by any corporations, no advertising, and we're not politically affiliated, although we're sort of progressive, but very progressive by nature. But So there's nobody interfering. Um, we make mistakes like everybody else and correct them immediately when we see them. But yeah, it, it's a it's a wonderful place to be. The business model isn't that great. We just put the hand out and say, can you give us five or 10 bucks a month to as many people as possible? A few thousand people do that as a community project. Our spiel is uh, don't pay so you can read it, pay so everybody can read it. So there's no paywall there. Uh, we've been growing for years. Uh, and I think that if, you know, with a bit extra resources, I think independent media will have to put corporate media to the sword because they're all cowering behind their paywalls these days. Um, and um, uh, having to follow each other's stories to, <laughs> to generate interest, you know. So they, they cover each other's stories, so it ends up on the Today Show and you get what's called secondary media. It's media about media, and then yeah. the Daily Mail, you know, says what Sky News has said about it. And it's very navel-gazing at the moment. So we try, to, we try to, you know, hammer out some good independent stuff, public interest, and following the money in politics like donations and lobbying and... And this kind of thing so that's our bailiwick and we tend to listen to people that fund us a bit and they say look can you do this or can you do that and and um we listen to the the public and it's like the sort of local footy team with being a 
you don't get a return, you don't get a dividend or anything like an investor would, but uh, you just get, um, you know, the just you don't even get a tax break because we it would take us probably two years to get DGR status. So, you, know. but you feel you feel better about giving you the money than giving, say, Rupert a little bit more money for. for well, it's a, interesting, for isn't it? Australian. Because five or ten years ago, if one looked at the internet and said, "Well, that's free. We don't pay for that," and anyone under, of yeah. course, thirty doesn't is used to this culture not paying for anything. So now they put paywalls up. So what are you trying to charge us to read this rubbish? And so, um, you know, the but the market. Um, has changed a bit. There is this recognition now that that we're going to give money to the thing which we want to back. So you can't back everybody now, can you? You can't back. Mm. You just back whichever one is your favourite um, media outlet, just like a football team or whatever. I think it's it's very similar to that, and it's a community sort of thing. People realise there does need to be change. So there's so many um, avenues of change that. You know, people need to see. We can see it in politics with the duopoly there now subsiding a bit and the, t the rise of the teals and the greens. It's happening mm -hmm. in politics as well. I mean, there's this falling trust in our largest, most cherished institutions and um, that's being reflected in customer behaviour. Yeah. Well, but I, th and I think the important thing for, for anyone who's sort of, you know, doesn't, hasn't been intimately involved in the media business is the difference is, you know, let's say I became a big spot. Let's say Michael did take, advertising and I became a big sponsor of, of, um, of him in terms of, you know, pouring money in and then Michael writes something negative about me and the next thing I'm, I'm on the phone to, to Michael or, or one of his journalists more likely writes something negative about me and I'm on the phone to Michael saying, hey, Michael, call your, call your tech dogs off, otherwise I'm pulling all this advertising. And, That's right. Um, well, there's only one place to complain. And, yeah. uh, and you, you, you're speaking to him now, so well, but I'm amazed. Like I don't get any complaints anymore because there's only one guy to complain to. When I was at Fairfax, they were complaining the whole time. We got lawyers and PR people whinging and stuff like that the whole yeah. time, and going above my head to whoever was on the board of you know what's now Night Entertainment and whinging. And Alan Joyce at Qantas was one of the really bad ones. The CBA guy, he was he was bad too. You know when Adele Ferguson did that stuff with Jeff Morris, the uh, the whistleblower in their financial services that they threatened to pull their out. And like, if you're Qantas, what do yeah. they spend? $20 million with nine a year? If you're Harvey Norman, the biggest advertiser in Australia, even bigger than the federal government, I believe, mm. you know, these guys have immense uh, right, power. And you won't read too much criticism of Harvey Norman going on in the uh, in the mainstream media. Or of no. the banks, mind you, and this is the thing, because they are huge advertisers, the banks. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Excellent. Okay, well, thank you very much. All right, boys. Really appreciate your um, your input. Good to be on the show. Thanks very much. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Damo. If you enjoy our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel now, like the video, and click the bell below to make sure you don't miss out on any special episodes or future content. If you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you do share it with them. We do put out a lot of other content in addition to this podcast. We have regular articles that are featured in all the major Australian publications, hopefully in Michael West going forward too. Uh, to get all this, you can subscribe to our weekly Nucleus News and Investment Insights at NucleusWealth.com. We do welcome your feedback on the podcast, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it in the comment section below or send us an email at contact at 
So for myself, Damien, Michael, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.